Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shirman Daf Yomi. My name is Yitzchak Shalom. We are now in Masachet Baba Kama Daf Kuftet Vav Mudalaf at the Mishnah. Zeb Baba Chavito Shal Yain Rezeb Chadosh Shal Dvash. We're going to find uh, two parallel cases, and later we'll try to figure out why we need both of them, where a person <clears throat> essentially uh, loses his own goods in order to spare the goods of somebody else that are worth more. Uh, keep in mind that honey is worth far more uh, per volume than wine. Uh, so two people are walking on the street. One has a barrel of wine. One has a jug of honey. The barrel or the jug of honey gets uh, broken. And we assume right now that the honey is gushing out or seeping out. So the fellow on his own initiated uh, to save the other fellow's honey, spilled all of his wine out to empty the barrel and make it available and save the honey. The most that he can claim from the fellow who owns the honey is the labor costs that one could normally charge and perhaps the rental of his barrel, but he can't recover the price of his lost wine. But if he says to him, I'll save your honey as long as you pay me for the wine, and the guy, we assume, acquiesces, then he really can claim all of it. Parallel case. Let's say his donkey and another fellow's donkey got swept away by a river. His is worth far less than the other fellow's. He went on his own and saved the more valuable donkey that belonged to the other guy. All he gets is the labor costs involved. He cannot claim the loss of his donkey. But if he says, again, I'll save yours and you take care of uh, my loss, then he has to pay him. Okay, so the first question is, why does the fellow who owns the honey have any claim whatsoever? Honey. The fellow who emptied out his wine barrel and caught the honey really can say, all the honey is mine. So certainly you have to at least pay me for the wine, but the honey is mine because it was hefker. Milo, Tanya, after all, we have a bright that says, Let's say a fellow had jugs of wine or oil and he saw that they were breaking. He can't use them to be on the stuff that he has in his house. In other words, because they are breaking, we we already consider them to be hefker. And but the avad, that's nothing. And we're going to test both sides of this, whether you can't make a statement or whether really the avad, it's invalid. So the answer that we're going to give is borrowed from a later discussion. That we're talking about a circumstance where the press of the honey is still sitting on this on the barrel, and the and the honey isn't really gushing out or coming out fast. It's really kind of seeping out uh, slowly. So in such a case, we really would not consider it hefker. However, it is being lost, and therefore the guy with the wine who empties it out really is saving it, but not really mean a hefker. It's kind of a middle case. So now we said that in that particular case, if the guy says this is Trumotomas wrote, it's invalid. A guy who's traveling and he has money in his hands and a thug is facing him and he assumes he's going to lose his money. He shouldn't say, listen, I have Masashani in my house. I'm going to be Machal the Masashani on these coins. 
because after all, the coins are going to be lost anyway. So he kind of double dips, if you will. But if he said so, then it works. So you, so we have kind of two tests here. On the one hand, we said that you cannot make trumotamasor out of it because it's hefker. So why, uh, why in our case does the fellow with the honey still have claim to the honey that he can withhold payment from the fellow with the wine? Because in his case, it was only slowly dripping out. But then we said in the case of the broken barrels that even the avad, the trumotamasorot are no good. And here we said, when your money is about to be stolen and your machalel, masasheni on that money, the avad, it's valid. So, here we're talking about a case where you really could save the money. So if you could save the money, why can't you The answer is it would be very, very difficult to save. Therefore, you can't do it. It's valid. What every time that something's going to have said, you can't... Now, we're turning things upside down. When something's going to be lost, you can't make now, this is going to be tricky, because remember, this is Tevel, and it's Tevel Tamei. You have ten barrels of wine. And we saw one of them was broken or was exposed. I'll talk about exposed liquids in a minute. So, Tevel, we now understand, means in this case that they were Maaser, that had not yet had Trumat Maaser taken from them. All right, so it's a levy who has his maser, 10 barrels. He hasn't taken trumat maser. He can't eat from any of them. One of them is broken or exposed. Exposed means he won't be able to use it. He can say that broken one, that one exposed, is the trumat maser on the rest, and then he can eat the rest. He can't do it if it's oil, because that's depriving the kohen. We'll see what that means. That's where Rav Yirmi originally gave his explanation that the press is still sitting on it. So in a case where it's broken, but it's only seeping out very, very slowly, he can make it, he can turn it into Truman Maser, he can, because it's not Hefka, even though it's eventually going to be all lost and the coin will get nothing, right now he has total ownership over it because it's really still in the barrel, and therefore he can make that declaration. Okay, so now let's look at the issue of exposure. Uh, in Mishnah Masachet Trumot, the Mishnah records the the Gzera of not drinking from water that was exposed overnight. Water or the liquids that were exposed overnight, and the reason for that is that, at least in Eretz Yisrael, as the Yosef explains, <clears throat> in those times they had poisonous snakes that would go into any exposed liquids, and they would leave their venom there. So they were dangerous, and because Chamira Sakanta Misura, because danger is dealt with more severely than even ritual uh, prohibitions, Therefore, the chumrot about this were very strong. And therefore, if you have a barrel that was exposed, nobody can drink it. So now, I understand a broken barrel, at least right now, it's ra'ui, because it isn't all emptied out. And the stuff in there is usable stuff, so you could make a chumah. But if it was midgula, right away, it's all out. It's all unusable totally. How could you call it chumat maser? Maybe you could assume that if it was wine, you could use it for ziluf. Ziluf is something we encountered a little earlier, where, you would, where they would take wine and spread it on the floor to kind of mat down the dirt floor that they have and to give a pleasant smell to the house. You can't do that, because if you have maimigulim, you can't pour them out in shutarabim. Again, they took this very, very seriously. You can't 
use it to make mortar. You can't use it to mat down the house. That's our case. You can't feed it to animals. So the answer is, they had a sieve. If the guy had a sieve on top of the, uh, on top of the barrel. Now, Rav Nechemi is the only, and this will become important later on, Rav Nechemi is the only Tana who permits Ma'imigulim in the case of Mesanet. That's only if the underneath part is exposed so that the, uh, that the sea, when it comes through the sieve, it doesn't help because the underneath part is still exposed. But if the lower part is covered up, even though the upper part is exposed, there's no gilui. They claim that the poison has something of a substance to it. It sits in its own place, and therefore the sieve will really sift it out. I don't know that modern toxicology would support that, but nonetheless, that was his approach. So, you say that we see that Rabbi Chemya could be the author of the Brita that said if you had one of the ten barrels of Tevel Tameh, again, Maser Tevel Tameh, that was Nitkalta, that you could declare it to be Trumat Maser. So, Lavit Maralam Rav Simon Rashuman Levi Lashanu Elisholo Tarkuah Val Asur. But even Rabbi Nechemya's ruling was only if he didnn't mix it up, because if he mixed it up, then the, to- the toxin gets in. It's possible to put something on top of the barrel to keep the poison from going in so it doesn't get mixed in. Okay, good. So we found one way to explain this. It's Rabbi Nechemya. Of course, what's a little bit difficult here is if Rabbi if Nechemya is the author, then Nit Galta, if there's a Masanet there, is no different than Lonit Galta, and why even mention it, and it's not in a class with Nishtabra. But, okay, Rabbi Nechemya, we have a different problem from Nechemya. Since when does Rab Nechemya say that you could separate, remember, all ten of them are Tameh, which is why, in any case, they couldn't be drunk by the Kohen, and that's why there's really not as much of a problem. But, according to Rab Nechemya, why are you allowed to take Truma from Tameh on Tameh? After all, Vatanya, you can separate and use some Tameh stuff as Trumot Masrot on Tameh stuff, or Tahor on Tahor, or Tahor on Tameh, Avalomina Tameh ala Tahor. You can't, if you have a bunch of stuff, some Tahor, some Tameh, you can't use the Tameh stuff as Trumot Masrot. Nechemya says you can't even use Tameh ala Tameh. In other words, you can never give Trumot Tameh. Only in the case of Dmai, which is a, a small suffix to Rabbanan, and we really assume the thing is already Musar. So the answer we give is Hachanami Bishal Dmai. So now what we have to say is that these ten barrels that the Levi held were ten barrels of Dmai, which we think Trumat Maser really was probably taken. And it's only Achshash that says we have to still take it. So there, Rabbi Nechemni would allow you to take Tamel Atameh. All right. Amramar, Uvashem and Loyasech, and Nehev Shedkoin. In that Brita, it said that you cannot, if this one barrel is a barrel of oil, then you can't do it because you're really having the Kohen lose. So, Marshna Shemen, why is Shemen any different? Shemen Tameh, a Kohen could use, Shemen Trumat Tameh, or Trumat Maser Tameh, a Kohen could use as fuel to light. You're allowed to light Trumat Tameh. Yainami Rawil Ziluf, but if it was wine, he's also losing, because if you give the coin wine that he can't drink, at least he could use it uh, for ziluf in the house. If you think ziluf's not so significant, Shmuel said in the context of 
um, of uh, Master Shani, he says that the Torah, that we allow you to use this amount of money to buy wine for drinking or for ziluf, which means that ziluf is considered a proper use. So therefore, uh, we're talking about new wine. New wine can't be used for that. So the, the coin could hold on to it. If it was new wine, the coin could hold on to it. He could age it, and then he could use it for ziluf. So the answer is, that's the problem. The problem is, if you give the coin this wine, which is Tamei, and he can't drink it, and he can only use it for Zilu for, let's say, a year after it's aged, in the meantime, somebody may come and drink it, not knowing it's Tamei. So Shemanami Atibilei Takala. So Sheman, you also have the problem. If you give him Sheman Tamei, a whole barrel, how much is he going to use to light already? People are going to come and use it for eating, for salad dressing, for who knows what. So the answer is, you give it to the Kohen in some sort of... Uh, um, un, not unclean, but like lower kind of a vessel that you wouldn't keep food in, and nobody would take it from there. So, so that's a simple solution. Put the wine in there also. And if you put the wine in a klimaus, people will know it's only for ziluf. They'll let it wait till it's aged, and they use it for ziluf. They won't drink from it. The answer is that doesn't make sense. If you want it for ziluf, that means you want it to be really nice smelling so that you can put it in the house. So you're not going to put it in a klimaus. Okay. Uh, now, so that explains why we distinguish between Shemen Tamei, where the coin has a real immediate use, which can be guarded against by putting the item in a klimaus, but nonetheless it will be used properly for Shemen, whereas Yayin, the coin can't really get any use out of it, and to hold on to it long enough so that he can use it for Ziluf, that we're not going to do because we want to keep it around. But that issue itself, the issue of takala, meaning keeping something around, <clears throat> whether um, which uh, we're, we're concerned that somebody may drink it when it's tamei, keeping it around for some other purpose, whether you're allowed to do that as a machalka tanaim. Tanya, If you have a barrel of wine <clears throat> of truma which is tamei, they say everything has to be poured out, poured out. Use it for ziluf. All right, so um, now, Amr Bishma Rabbi Yossi, he says, Ani achria. He comes up with what we what he thinks is a hakra, which is a, 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 something of a compromise between the positions of Echam Beit Hillel, of pouring it all out or using it for Ziluf. But by it, Te'ase Ziluf, in the house, it should be used for Ziluf. Uva Sadeh Tishafei But if you're out in the field, then pour it all out. Some people thought, and this is what sounds like our potential machloket tanaim, is that if it's old wine, then you could use it for ziluf. But if it's new, then you have to pour it out. Why? Because if it's um, if it's new and you keep it around, then there's the problem of takala. The answer they gave to him was that's not called a hachraa. It's important to note. He said ani <clears throat> Um, <clears throat> which means I'm going to find a resolution. So you take a look at Rashi, and it talks about what hachra'a is. We always say halacha kedivra machria. When you have position A, position B, and then a third tana comes along and says, position A applies in this case, position B applies in this case, that's called a hachra'a. But that's only true if both position A and position B presented the terms that are used for the hachra'a. This is a dachli sheet. The idea of the field or the house or the old or the new are not mentioned by B'chom Hill at all. So that's called a dachli sheet, and that's not called a hachra'ah. That, of course, is not our original, uh, our, our main concern here. Our main concern is just to see that the notion of 
of Takala seems to be the, the, the dispute between the two versions of Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Yossi, whether it's Babayit versus Sadeh or Yashan versus Chadash. Okay, Imamar, back to our Mishnah. Imamar lo atzilat shalcha, if the guy makes the deal in advance. Remember, everything we talked about till now was from the first part of the, of the Mishnah where he said, where he just goes and rescues and loses his own stuff. <clears throat> without um, without making any sort of an, uh, an agreement in advance, but if he says in advance, I'm going to um, to save your stuff as long as you remunerate me. So he says, How come afterwards? Now we're flipping it from where we originally started. How come the fellow whose honey was spared and said yes, I'll pay you for your wine? How come afterwards he can't say I was just kidding? Meaning. The guy's running away from prison, and there's a ferry right in front of him. He's got to get away. Amarlo told Dinar Vavireni. He says to the ferryman, "Here, take a dinar." He doesn't say here, take a dinar. Take a dinar and, and pass me over. A dinar is way more than he would normally charge. When he takes him across, all that he really has to pay him is the normal amount, because clearly in this exigent circumstance, he was doing whatever he could to get across, but he didn't really mean it. Therefore, you see that a person can say this mishatani b'chai didn't really mean it. So how come the honey guy who is desperate can't say at the end, yeah, I'll pay you the value of your work, not going to pay you for your wine? The answer is that the two cases are comparable. Although Damiel is seifa, really our case is like the seifa of the boat story. Marlo told dinar If the guy running away from prison says, "Here, take this dinar as your as your fee, and take me over," then you have to pay him the full thing. So, so therefore, that's like our case. So, why are the two cases different? Meaning, the rach on the safe of the boat case. We're talking about a situation where. The um, where the ferry guy is also a fisherman, and he said, "You, I, I took you across, and in the meantime, I'm losing, uh, getting the fish out of the net. I'm losing whatever fish I could get in the, in in that in that amount. So therefore, this dinar really does represent what it is that I'm losing. And the same way, this fellow's losing his wine in order to save the honey. So that's that's what his gain is back. That's what his 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 reparation is." Okay, Shataf Nar Nahar or Nachal Chamorov Chamor Chavero. So the second case in the Mishnah was the case of the donkeys. Now, the question first of all is why we need both cases. Utsricha, the Yashmin Kamaita, if I only had the case of the honey. So Hatam Hudahipiresh Yahivle Dmekule. It's only in the case of the honey where the guy explicitly says what's going on, says, um I'll uh I'll save the uh wine <clears throat> Um, uh, I'll save your honey, but you have to pay me for the wine. Shumdi v'adaim kamafsi, because pampasi, because there he's pouring out his own wine v'adaim. Here in the case of the donkey, maybe he can never get more than just the labor cost because he didn't push his own donkey in; he just didn't save him. If we only had the donkey case, it's only in the donkey case that bistam all he gets is the labor costs. because it just happened on its own. But there, in the case of the barrel of the honey and the wine, I would think that even in a stam case, he should get paid for everything without having to stipulate. Therefore, I need both cases to tell me that they are both dealt with the same way. So now we have several questions about this uh, saving the donkey. 
Let's say he made the deal, so he's going to get paid for his donkey. He goes in to save the other guy's donkey and does. In the meantime, his own donkey makes it out on his own. Mahu. The answer is, he gets to keep it, and he gets his schar, and he gets his donkey back, and it's minashamayim. Kehad Rav Safra, the story about Rav Safra, we call Azabashayarata. He was in a caravan. Lavinu Ahuari, there was a lion attached itself to the caravan. So what they do? Kolayla kashadalei chamra dechad minayu. Every night they would send out one donkey to feed the lion and keep him away from the people. Kaachil. Kimata zinur of Safra was Rav Safra's turn. Shadalei chamra v'loachle. He sent out his donkey and the lion didn't eat him. Kadim Rav Safra v'zachabe. Rav Safra then went out the next day and retook possession of the donkey. Right, so another then Rav Safra did not say, "Well, everybody else lost their donkey, so we have to sell my donkey and divide the parts up equally." No, mina shemayim, I I paid my price, and mina shemayim, I got my donkey back. I'm Rav Achamidiv to the Ravinas. The question now is backwards. Lamale the miskibe. Why does he have to retake possession of the donkey? It's his. Nihidachi afkare adaita da arye afkare. When he was mafkir the animal, when he sent him out, that was only on on the assumption that the lion was going to eat him. Adata the chuli amalu afkare. He wasn't mafkir him in general. So the, he shouldn't have had to retake possession. So the answer is, you're right. Rav was just trying to be on the safe side to make a kinyan, but really it was not necessary. Now, Rav asked Rebbe the following about our Mishnah. What if the guy makes the deal and the opposite happens? He goes in to save the other fellow's donkey, having made the deal that he'd get paid for his, and he's not successful. So he comes up with nothing. Says, no question. He certainly will get nothing more than at least being paid for the attempt. But he was not going to get paid for his donkey. So let's see if that's true. If a guy hires somebody to bring food to a guy who's sick. And by the time the guy gets there, it's too late. Either he's already better or he already died. But either way, the food is not needed. You have to pay him. You have to pay the, the guy for all of his work. So how come here, when the guy went in to save the donkey, you don't have to pay him the full price, which is the price of his lost donkey? Amrlei midami. Rebbe said back to Rav, the, the, the two cases aren't alike. Hatam avid shliach In the case of the sick guy, the shaliach did exactly what he was told to do. He went to bring food. He brought food to the house. He had nothing to do with when this guy died or got better. Hachal avid shliach But here, the guy said, I'm going to save your donkey. He didn't do it. Okay. There's a caravan going through the desert, and something that's very contemporary in another context, <clears throat> and a militia came up to, to attack it. If they, they reach some sort of an accommodation with them and a ransom price, they'll let them go for $100,000, then they do it based on the assets in the caravan. That's how they divide it up not based on the amount of people, meaning if there's 10 people in the caravan and they, they reach an accommodation of uh, whatever amount it is, but one of the per people is carrying $500,000 and each of the rest is carrying a small amount, the total is a million, then the guy has $500,000, ends up paying half of the ransom. But if it was so dangerous that they ended up hiring a guide to lead them through, then that means that it is now a dean of nefashot, meaning... It's now clear that they were really under a death threat. Then you have to divide it based on the fashot. The general rule is that when the group is under threat for financial loss, then you consider it based on financial assets, the, the, their payment. If they're under uh, threat of death, 
Then it's based on people, and each person has an equal stake. And whatever the custom of the donkey drivers is, whatever the, lo- the norms are, that's what you have to follow. Meaning, and this is now when they would take a train of, uh, of donkeys, uh, driving them from one place to another, they have the, the, the leaders of it have the, ch- have the rights to make the following deal. And what would happen is they would drive these donkeys, and then each night a different person would guard them from animals, from rustlers, etc. So, the, so if a person would lose his donkey, for some reason, they, um, they would have a very big concern that uh, the guy would no longer have any interest in guarding properly. So they could make a deal. If somebody loses a donkey, they'll give him another one. If it's bipshia, they won't. If it's not because of negligence, then they'll give him one. They can make that, that rule, if that's the custom. If the guy says, listen, you just pay me for the amount of a donkey, and I'll watch anyway. Sometimes I'll watch even though I have a donkey. And Mitchell mean, no, we don't have to listen to him. That's obvious. Because obviously, if you've just given him money, but he doesn't have a donkey there, he's not going to guard very zealously. The answer is, We could even talk in a case where he has another donkey, he lost one, and now you say, we'll pay you for the one you lost, because we're responsible also. I might think that since he's watching one donkey, it doesn't matter. The answer is, His zealousness in guarding all the donkeys where one of them is his is not going to be nearly as strong as if two of them are his. Therefore, if he had two, he lost one, you don't say, I'll pay you the money for the other one, buy it on your own or keep it, but rather we get him another donkey, and now he's going to be watching two of his own donkeys, among the rest. There's a ship at sea. And now there's a, an eddy that's uh, threatening to, to take it down. And they start throwing stuff overboard. So then the way that they consider how to lighten the load is based on weight, not based on value. And, you, and whatever the custom of the shipmen is, the boatmen, that's what you have to follow, and you can't change their custom. Again, this is when you have a flotilla that's going. Again, the same problem. They would have little boats that would go together that if any one of the men lose the boats, they'll give them another one. Again, if he lost the Shia, then they don't. If, if, if they lost it not due to the negligence, they do give him one. If he took his boat to somewhere where boats don't go, we're talking about little boats again, then we don't give it to him. So pshita, that's obvious. So Maybe there's an area where some parts of the year, like in the spring, they only go one distance. In Tishrei, they go further out. And in the spring, he went out as far as they go in the fall, which is too dangerous for the spring. So I might think that the road's going to bring him back. Kamash Malan, that because right now that's an area that you don't go, he really lost the boat, and that's it. Tana Rabbanan, we're back to our caravan in the desert. And a, a militia came and uh, attacked it. And one guy got up, a member of the caravan got up and saved the whole caravan. Whatever he saved, everybody gets their stuff back, meaning he doesn't have a better claim on it, he just gets his own stuff. If he declares in advance, I'm going in to save it, and now it's going to be mine, then he does keep it. So, hey, what's the case? If he's able to save, 
if he's really able to save, I meaning these guys aren't that strong and he's capable really, then in any case, it should all go to back to everybody else because the threat wasn't that great. If you really can't save, then that means the minute that the militia came up, everybody was already mouthing their stuff. I feel Even without declaring anything, it should all be his. So answer one is, and we're talking about partners. In other words, there's two partners in this caravan. This is a situation of a partner sort of dividing without asking his partner, separating from his partner without asking him. So Amar, if he makes the declaration, then Polig. Lo Amar, lo Polig. If he doesn't say anything, then he's part of the partnership. It goes to both. If he makes a declaration, he's separating. Rava Amar, hachal po'alinaskin. And Rava says, no, we're talking here about a caravan, and the people on it are hired by the owner. A worker can walk out on his job in the middle of the day. So until he does so, he's still in the the Balabait. Alright, so therefore, if he says, I'm taking it for myself, then he's now declared himself independent, and now he own, he gets the stuff himself. If on the other hand, he doesn't say anything of the sort, then he's still working for the Balabait, and it goes to him. Now, by the way, the fact that he can walk out in the middle is for a different reason. We'll see this later in Pabetzia, that Hashem says, B'nai Yisrael are my slaves, not slaves to slaves. Therefore, every um, every member of Yisrael the middle of a job, can walk out. Of course, they might not get paid, they, they might not get hired back, etc., but they cannot be, be enslaved by that. Ravashi says the reason for the distinction in the case of the caravan between declaring and not declaring is where he could save the caravan, but it's a real tough job. If he de- demonstra- de- declares his intentions, that's for himself. If he doesn't declare his intentions, then, indeed, it goes back to everybody else. Okay, we'll pause at this point. We'll pick it up in the penultimate podcast of Masachat Babakama. Uh, in the meantime, everybody should have a wonderful day.